Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sports Day for Kia. The seven-seat Kia Sorento. Kia's most awarded large SUV ever. Available now at your nearest Kia dealer. Yeah, great to have your company here on Sports Day. You can get involved in the Temper of Bedshed uh, text machine on 0487 736 736. Or call 13 12 55. Of course, Bedshed are the experts in temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases. Check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au. And Sports Day is here for Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 GT supercar. Uh, there is a big bash match uh, currently underway, and uh, it is the Strikers that are taking on the Renegades. Uh, currently, it is the Strikers who are batting. Alex Carey's not out 64 of 44 balls. Uh, he's certainly leading the way for the Strikers, and they're four for 115 and they've just started the 17th over. Uh, Farwood Ahmed, uh, the leading wicket-taker, two for 16. Uh, Corey Roccaccioli, by the way, four overs, one for 36, the young West Australian. So that's what's happening uh, in the cricket. In the tennis, as I mentioned, uh, Victoria Azarenka took the first set against Jessica Pagula by six games to four, and Pagula is now serving after Azarenka took the first game of the second set. And in fact, it is a break point. And I think Pagula has hit it long. Yes, and Azarenka has broken early uh, in that second set over Jessica Pagula, Pagula. And she leads by two games to love. Just before we go uh, into the vault and speak to Bob Massey about the 16 wickets he took at Lords in his very, very first test match for Australia against England. Let's just recap uh, some of the major stories today. As we know, Ash Gardner has made a stance regarding playing a scheduled T20 clash uh, against Pakistan on the day that she thinks signifies the beginning of genocide massacres and disposition. Meg Lanning is the captain of the Australian women's cricket team. And this is what she had to say on Ash Gardner's stance on January 26th. We're fully supportive of Ash and, and her stance and her feelings and, and views around it. It's something that we can't control in terms of, of the scheduling and, and playing on that day, but something that um, we would like to do is just acknowledge the, the sadness and grief that that day does bring for um, First Nations people. Try and create a better understanding of, of what it means and, and, and their culture, um, and that's what we're, we're using this, you know, this opportunity to do. Um, so, but I, I think it's a really united front within the group. Uh, we will be wearing our Indigenous jersey um, on Jan 26th, and um, there's, there's a few other things we're doing as well. We're doing a, a cultural tour as well the day before um, to try and learn a, learn a little bit more. 
Mm. Okay, that's Meg Lanning, the captain of the Australian women's cricket team. Uh, big game here on Saturday night, 4.15 it gets underway. It is uh, the match between the Perth Scorchers and the Sydney Sixers. The winner will go straight through to the decider, in other words, the, the grand final. A couple of injury concerns for the Scorchers, and here's Adam Voges giving us an update on AJ Ty and Matt Kelly's injuries going to that big game on Saturday. Yeah, they're both, they're both fine. Uh, in all seriousness, um, yeah, Kells is probably the the, the one who took a well, it was a really nasty blow. And um, but no, I spoke to him yesterday. He's had some stitches uh, in and outside of his mouth, um, but he he had a good sleep and is is feeling okay. So thankfully, he's okay. Um, he's got obviously concussion protocols that we'll need to follow over the next week to see whether he's available on Saturday. But but thankfully he's feeling okay and uh, yeah, AJ's fine. I think he's it's just a bruised ego more than more than anything. But um, uh, he'll certainly be fine and, and right to go. Oh, yes, and we're now going inside the vault. And I thought we'd go back to 1972. It was at Lord's where this gentleman, Robert Arnold Lockyer Massey, of course, a West Australian and a former Australian cricketer who played test cricket for Australia. It was only a real short stint, actually, between 1972 and 1973. He was a swing bowler. Uh, as I said, a relatively short international career, but he's remembered for a test debut like no other. In 1972 at Lords in London, the home of cricket, he took eight wickets in each innings with figures of 16 for 137 for the match. Now, this was a world record for a test deputant until beaten by India's Narendra Helwani who took 16 wickets for just one run fewer. It was an amazing performance by Bob Massey, and it still is uh, revered this day, some 51 years on. In fact, he started the tour, that 1972 Ashes tour, with an opening first-class match against Worcester, uh, where he took six for 31. He missed the first test because of injury, and then, of course, butted up and took eight for 84 and eight for 53 in the two innings and completely destroyed England in that test match. The Australian team was captained by Ian Chappell, and it gives us uh, great pleasure to uh, welcome a man that has uh, always been fairly quiet by nature and doesn't like talking about his feats uh, too openly, but I thought this was a great one to go back inside the vault here on Sports Day and talk to the great uh, Bob Massey, who, of course, uh, grew up uh, around Bedford and became one of the great Australian cricketers. Bob, thanks for joining us here on Sports Day WA with Peter Vlahos. No problem, Peter. How are you travelling? Yeah, not too bad. Can't believe it's 50 years last year since your test debut at Lords. Uh, do you think about it much these days? Oh, yeah, it, it's it's always around. Someone's always mentioning it, or someone always talk about it about a book that they've read and something about it in there, and so on and so forth. So it's not far away. I have got a DVD of the game that was. Um, Oh, I forget where I got it from. I know, actually, I think it was Colin Cowdery actually gave me a VHS, and I had that put onto DVD. So I've got the game, which is a bit scratchy in that by now, but uh, I have got the game on DVD. 
It's amazing when you look at Bob Massey, uh, just a local here, I think grew up in Bedford, went to Hillcrest Primary, played for Bayswater Morley in grey cricket here, and all of a sudden represented Western Australia, and then you made your debut at Lords in 1972 after missing, as we know, the first test of that Ashes series due to injury. Did you think you'd get called up for the second test? Well, I I thought I would because um, I'd I'd played three matches against the rest of the world in '71 too against Sobers and Graham Pollock and Co. And I had had success against them, getting seven wickets at Sydney. So I felt that I'd be a, a starter. Uh, and then, sadly enough, it was at Lords where um, we we're playing the MCC and. Dennis was bowling superbly from the nursery and up the hill, which was rather strange. But he was beating, causing boycott a lot of trouble. And I was, it was really swinging in the first two overs. In the first ball of the third over, I got into the into my action, and it felt like someone had stabbed me in the side with a knife. Uh, I'd done damage to my side, done the intercostal muscle or something, and uh, I was out for three and a half weeks, which was disappointing because it was apart from not being able to play. I missed out on some of the juiciest wickets to bowl on um, at that stage of the season. It's interesting that you spent a bit of time playing cricket for Kilmarnock in Scotland, where you think that was a huge advantage going into that Ashes series. Absolutely. <clears throat> I, uh, I was bowling with the Duke ball uh, every week, uh, a, a bit of practice, and being the professional, I I played in the friendly matches on a Sunday after the championship matches on a Saturday. Um, I wouldn't always bowl a lot, but I'd play to fill up numbers and uh, just help the guys coming in from the other grades that were playing on the Sunday. So I got a lot of experience with that ball. But I went to to, to Kilmarnock to improve my cricket. That was my number one aim every year, was to come back a better bowler um, working on line and length because you couldn't bowl short. You couldn't intimidate anybody because the pitches were just too slow. It's interesting. People, even Ian Chappell, your captain, that regarded you just as a real hard worker. You worked on uh, your ability to swing the ball, and he said you spent countless hours in the nets trying to perfect it. Were you a bit of a workaholic in trying to get it right? Well, that's how we prepared in those days. Um, I mean, Dennis Lilly... You know, you know how long his run was. Dennis had bowled for probably an hour and a quarter or so off the full run at state practice on a Wednesday night, which didn't really please some of the batsmen, I don't think. But um, he uh, he was a, a, not only worked very hard in the nets, but Dennis, of course, then would go and run laps and miles and what have you. And no doubt, like all of us, did a lot of work away from regular practice, um, doing things by yourself to just try and you know improve your skill. Because I realised early on that looking at the WA State squad, there's about eight fellas in front of me that were going to get the new ball down breeze. So I had to use a breeze to my advantage. And I used to go down the local park and I used to practice running into the sea breeze. No bowling, just trying different things when the breeze was really strong to try and work out how to run into it so it didn't buffet you around and knock you off balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes when I go down there, Gordon Becker, who was uh, a West Australian Shield player, went on a, a test tour to South Africa, was also a waffle umpire. And he'd be down there practising his bouncing 
of the football and uh, we'd have a bit of a chat and then I'd get on back to running into the, into the window and he'd start bouncing the footy again. Amazing. You took eight for 84 in the first innings, Bob, but eight for 53 in the second innings. Uh, can you highlight which was a better bowling performance? Was it the first innings or the second innings? Um, well, I think the first innings I started off, I did spray the ball around quite a bit. And I think that was a bit of nerves, um, a bit eager. Um, the slope initially is quite a distraction. And I was bowling for the nursery end, so it was sloping from mid-on to third man. You know, there's about a seven or eight-foot drop overall. And it's quite noticeable. But by about day three, you don't notice it so much. But uh, I think the second innings, I, I bowled a lot better consistently. And, of course, things happened a lot more quickly. But it was a bit of a jag in a way because I had worked out in my mind how I was going to bowl to each batsman. And I did bowl around the wicket to Dolivera in the first innings and he drove me through the covers for a few fours. So I abandoned that idea and thought I'll bowl over the wicket to him. Um, But I had always planned to bowl around the wicket and bowl my in-swinger at Edridge's off stump, which was, of course, leaving him. And I did get him caught behind. And for some reason, I thought to myself, no, no, don't chop and change. Just stay around the wicket for a while, see what happens. And they just kept nicking them and getting caught. And so I pretty much stayed around the wicket most of the time um, until we had them nine for 80-something at stumps, which was just incredible. Saying that, led by Ian Chappell, what about some of your other teammates that no doubt were very supportive of your performance during that series, particularly that Lord's Test match, uh, can you recall and maybe throw up a couple of the names that uh, you fondly remember during that tour? Well, Dennis Lilly had a fantastic tour, broke broke the record for most wickets and at 22 years of age or whatever. He, he was sensational and he bowled beautifully in that Lord's Test. But some days it, things go your way and other days they don't. And that day, you know, Nicks were being caught, some great catches were being taken. Uh, and Dennis had some chances put down. Um, it's just the way the game goes. But, um, you know, we always just went out to do the best we could to get our team into a good position. And uh, between the two of us, we didn't really care who got the wickets. Of course, you want to get wickets yourself. But it was terrific. When Dennis went off in the second innings and to have a spell after a long spell and a good spell, David Colley came on. And he told Ian Chapel that if you ever need me to bowl a quick burst, I can do it for about six overs or so, but then I'm going to be spent. And after Dennis went off, Ian Chapel went up and said, um, hey, Foxy, which was his nickname for the Fox, said, um, mate, you know that spell you told me you had in you? I need it right now. And Marshy said they all came up a step or two from where they were for Dennis. And after one or two balls from from Collie, they went back another two paces because he just let them, he had them flying around off the ridge and cutting in and he was unlucky not to get some wickets and I still keep in touch with him and uh, he's, a, he's a really terrific bloke and uh, of course we played against him a bit in shield cricket as well but we enjoyed each other's company uh, on that tour. Speaking about uh, teammates, of course, the West Australian contingent was strong. Dennis Lilly, Bob Massey. Ross Edwards was in that team, wasn't he, as well? And, of course, the late uh, Rod Marsh. Uh, You must have been, when you heard the news about Rod's passing, it must have affected you because I know you spent a lot of time with him. 
Yeah, I was devastated, like like everyone. He was my roommate on the England tour, um, and terrific bloke. And of course, we we also went on the state schoolboys tour in nineteen sixty sixty one around there, and he was the captain. Um, five days by train to Brisbane, two weeks in Brisbane, five days on the train back. I played one match, a bowl of three overs, two maidens, none for four, <laughs> and that was it for the tour. So. Uh, um, it was a tremendous uh, memories, you know, to, as a young young or youngster about what it was about thirteen, fourteen, and uh, to go to to Brisbane was like flying to the moon. Yeah, amazing. But, yeah, it was, that was very very sad. And but Ross Edwards is still uh, going well. I keep in touch with him and John in Verity. Um, uh, yes, we've lost a few, unfortunately. Saying that, I don't. Recall, and I in recent times, anybody that swings the ball as much as Bob Massey swung the ball in his time playing for Western Australia and Australia, particularly in that Lord's Test match where he picked up 16 wickets. Terry Alderman swung it a bit, Mick Malone swung it a bit, but nobody swung it as prodigiously as Bob Massey. Has that art of the game gone out now? I think so. Um, there's all this, if you listen to the commentators on TV, all they talk about is bowling 140, 150 Ks, uh, and that's that's the people who they want in the team. Um, someone has to bowl into the wind, and if you're not taking wickets at both ends, uh, it's harder to miss, dismiss a team triply enough to win the game. But uh, I, I, I practised for about five years where every time I bowled a ball, I would be absolutely concentrating on what that seam position was. And I don't see that seam position today with any of them. Well, I, I learned from reading books, um, autobiographies like from Keith Miller, Ray Linwell, etc., cetera, uh, that the seam was pointing at first slip for the outswinger and the seam was pointing at leg slip for the inswinger. Nowadays, they, sit, they tend to point the ball straight down the wicket with just a very, very slight angle. What that does is it doesn't expose the shiny side as much to the atmosphere and conditions uh, as, they, as, as a, it does if you point the ball at, at uh, first slip. The other thing I was told fairly early on, I think it was from uh, Len Pavey, who was associated with the university, was that use of the wrist, you've got to be loose to swing, and use flick your wrist so that it's, everything is straight and the seam comes out perfectly straight, but it, that puts a lot of backspin on the ball, and that creates a turbulence. This is what I'm told. I don't quite understand what's, understand it all. It creates a turbulence behind the back of the ball, and I think that's what, which is what aids late swing. But certainly the angle of the seam and getting it out of your hand correctly all the time is the key to swing bowling. Bobby, thanks for joining us. Uh, lovely to chat to you and reminisce about that magnificent day for you at Lords in 1972. Take care and we'll keep in touch. Thanks, Peter.